I'm a child of God. Having my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. And look at your friend and say, you dirty dog, leave me alone. Now, look back at that same person and say, oh, but I love you. I love you. (laughs) Oh, dirty dog. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look in verses 15 through 23 today. The big idea that I want you to take away today is that as God rebuilds our lives, we must, and I can't emphasize enough the word must, we must have friends help us if we're going to be successful. Do you believe that? Oh, you do. Oh, you do. Friends stick closer than brothers, don't they? The right kind ones. And we've all got some of those friends we just soon not keep too close. <laughs> but you got to have them in order to really be successful. So in our verses this morning, there's three things I want you to take away. First of all, verses 15 and 16, we need to face problems head on and get them solved. Let's take a look at verses 15 and 16. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them. Now those are two phrases I want you to underline. We knew of their plans and God had frustrated them. We all, circle the word all, we all returned to our work on the wall. Verse 16, but from then on, Only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Now, do you know what a coat of mail is? That's that bag that the mailman carries, isn't it? No. (laughs) It's actually a breastplate. That's what a coat of mail is. It's a breastplate. It covers your chest area so that spears and arrows can't get through, kill you. So this is how that they stood. And there's extremes that we can go to in any situation. And Nehemiah had an opportunity to go to extremes, but the good news is he didn't go to two wrong extremes. Because sometimes we go to the wrong extremes. The first one was he didn't ignore the problem. That's, that's one extreme, is you ignore the problem. He didn't stick his head in the sand. A lot of people do that. They don't want to see the problem. If I don't see it, then it must not be there. I just only want to see positive things. I don't want to hear about any negative stuff. Don't talk to me about negative stuff. You know, we just don't want to hear it. Okay? But he didn't stick his head in the sand. He didn't act like the problem was over when it wasn't. I like the government when it tells us that we don't have a de- we don't have a debt problem, we have a deficit spending problem. Which makes no sense at all. I went down to the bank last week and tried the theory of the government with my bank. 
I went in and I said, I need to see the head dog at the trough. Well, I didn't quite put it that way. I just asked for the manager. And so the manager came out. I said, hey, <clears throat> I'm an American citizen. And being an American citizen, I think I should be able to carry on my business transactions the way my government is showing me how to do it. Would you agree? He started laughing like you're laughing. I said, look, I, I, I owe you a little bit of money on a loan Really minuscule compared to what the government owes in 17 trillion. Mine's minuscule. Said, so can you just go ahead and just forget mine? Just let it go. He laughed some more. I said, why are you laughing? He said, you're not real. You're not telling, are you for real? <laughs> and then I laughed. But I just thought it'd be fun. Wouldn't it be great if you got up in the morning and all of your debts were gone? Not one debt, not one debt at all. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just think about it. No car payments, no house payments. What are you going to do with all that money? Go to the casino. <laughs> he didn't act like there was a problem. He didn't act like the problem didn't exist when it did. He knew the problem was there. And Nehemiah faced it. And the problem was the temple wall or the walls of the city were destroyed. They were been leveled and the gates, the wooden gates had been burned to the ground. And it bothered him because then the city was unsafe. Had no protection. See, that's what happens to us with sin is that sin creeps in and we forget to keep the walls built up of protection of the Holy Spirit around us. And as Samson said in, in Kings, it's a great, it's a great story. Samson, it says, it says his strength left him and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. See, that's how sin works. So Nehemiah was not that kind of a leader. He was not that kind of a person. He faced the problem head on. Help the people find a reasonable solution. I occasionally have computer issues. Any of you? The first one is, oh yeah, Russell raises his hand. That's, that's what he does for a living, right? He comes to fix mine. First thing he asks me though every time is, have you turned it on? I said, what? <laughs> yeah. But usually there's something not working right, not talking to us. And, you know, and these guys will sit down at the computer and they'll just start doing this stuff, you know. And pretty soon it's, it's fixed. And then you go, what'd you do? And then they just look at you and smile and walk away. They don't ever tell you what they did. And that's probably good because it would take too long for them to explain what they did. Just let them fix it and they leave. You know, we've got to be that way sometimes in our life. We've got to lean on other people to help us. We've got to lean on other people to make it work. We've got to work together. And when we're working together, victory can be experienced. There's two things that are wrong with ignoring problems. The first one is they often get bigger. They always often get bigger. Just ignore it and it'll get bigger. Fifteen years ago when I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, I could have said, so? 
<clears throat> so what? I'm not going to measure my blood. I'm not going to poke my finger. I'm not going to do that. I don't need to do that. I could have got that old Texas drawl out and said, I'm not going to do this. and not. I'm going to keep eating all the sweets I want to eat. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Or, I can manage diabetes. And that's what I've tried to do. And isn't it funny? The medicine is not necessarily the best way to control diabetes. It's through diet and exercise. Really? That's our whole life, isn't it? Diet and exercise. But if we ignore it, it gets bigger. Secondly, often, often, these issues become testing ground for growth. James says that. Count it all joy when you find yourself in various trials and temptations because it's going to perfect your faith. Wow. I believe Bryant's faith is stronger today than it was six months ago. Brad's faith watching his brother. You see what I'm saying? See, we're all, we're all encouraged by when we see others' faith increase, ours increases. And that's what it's all about. And the point here is that Nehemiah refused to ignore problems. He faced them head on. He sought to get them solved. And so let me ask you, are you like Nehemiah? Are you facing your problems head on? Or do you continue to push them aside? Do you continue to ignore them, assuming they're going to go away in time? Do we do that in our marriage? I mean, you've got a rift between you and your, your spouse. It's going to let it, well, they'll get over it. Maybe they won't. See, divorce is just as prolific in church as it is outside the church. Something wrong with that picture, by the way. How are things going with your kids? Well, they'll grow out of it. Really? Have you looked in the mirror to realize that they behave the way we show them sometimes how to behave? My kids weren't born yelling. They weren't. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't come out and go, they just didn't do that. They didn't look at each other and start cutting each other down. They didn't do that. They didn't look at each other and start calling each other names. They learned that. They learned how to raise their voice by listening to their dad raise his voice. Cindy, I caught her just just rolling on the floor laughing one day. And I said, what are you laughing about? She said, look at yourself. The boys have been yelling and screaming, and so I just got louder and yelled and screamed too. And she just thought that was the funniest thing she'd ever seen. Well, her laughter diffused the whole thing. Because I looked at her, I said, what are you doing? She goes, look at yourself. I what? <laughs> so, I was, said, it's funny, isn't it? When you stop and realize what you've been doing. How about work? How about church? Hmm. And then there's another wrong extreme. Another side, 
And that's being consumed. Ignoring them or being consumed by them. Nehemiah didn't stop the project and give every person a spear and a sword. He divided the work up. Some people watched, some people worked. It's wrong to ignore the problem, but it's also wrong to be consumed by the problem. If you've got a problem with sin, don't ignore the sin, deal with the sin. You can do that. I read an interesting article this week that just really kind of made me stop and think about church again a little bit differently. The reason this article's conclusion was, the reason that young people, children, don't stay in church when they get to be older is that we take them out of church at a young age and put them in their own church, and so they think entertainment is the way to go. And so when it's time for them to come to big church, they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. So they just don't come. Well, we need to start teaching them early on that worshiping the Lord is great. And we ought to do it together. And I I love the first part of our service. That's why we do it that way. Because we want everybody together. Let's get the kids involved in singing. Let's get the kids involved in serving. Let's get the kids involved in all the aspects of our worship service. Amen? Because they're going to be a part of it as they grow up. That's what, I, that's what I love about our church. But we can be consumed by things. And when I say it's possible to get so wrapped up in a problem that you, your whole focus gets skewed. Sometimes you can get so absorbed in a situation that you fail to be thankful for the things that God's blessed you with. Rather than being, look at all the blessings He's given you, you're focused on the one negative thing. He's given you a lot of blessings, Amen. Huge amount of blessings. Huge amount. I haven't seen a big size R2-D2 till I walked into Computer Trends the other day. And R2-D2 is at the door greeting me. I went in and I went, well, hello. And if he had said something back, I'd have, been, I'd have, I'd have left. But <laughs> this cardboard facsimiles aren't supposed to talk back to you. But knowing Rasul the way I do, I figured he'd put some voice activation thing in there just for fun. Hey, you ought to do that, Rasul. You ought to do that. All right. <laughs> so when they opened the door, he could go, hey, how are you? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be fun. Folks who say they are saved, but you never hear them rejoice or say anything on a joyful level about what's going on in their life. You know, Nehemiah had walked into a terrible situation. But he didn't complain about the past. He didn't complain about all the people before him that didn't do it. He just got busy to make it better. He got busy and made it better. That's what we should be doing in our life. Every place we go, we should leave where we are making it better than when we got there. That's what we should be doing. Because there's always stuff in the past that we can focus on. Let it go. Let it go. But man, we can make a big difference for tomorrow. We can make a big difference for tomorrow. And that's what God is. God is a God of tomorrow. As well as today. As well as yesterday. But He wants us to focus on the good things that are coming. And don't let your, your, your focus get off center. We get absorbed sometimes. And we start assuming that everybody's this way. 
It's like the guy that came in, he said, man, this, he, his grandkids were going to play a joke on him, so while he's taking a nap, they put Limburger cheese in his mustache. Like this. And all of a sudden he wakes up and he goes, man, this house smells bad. So he walked into the other room and he goes, man, this smells bad in here. Walked into another room. What smells bad in here? That whole house stinks. Sometimes we just need to take a look right here close and see why things aren't looking too good. Why things aren't smelling too good. But Nehemiah faced the problem without being consumed by it. And those two passages present a balance. And it's very important that we understand about balance because that's what God wants us to have. If we focus on the problem, it can gnaw at us. You know what I mean by gnawing at us? Gnaw at us. We don't want it to gnaw at us. Which takes us to the second point is that we need to strike a balance between building and battling. Look at verses 17 and 18. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand, supporting their load, and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. You see, in one sense, it's similar to what we've already looked at in in the story of Nehemiah. But in another sense, it emphasizes itself because Nehemiah, uh, he knew how much emphasis to place on thinking about and dealing with the problems. But he also knew how much time he spent on building, rebuilding. So you've got to prepare, but you've also got to build. And that's what we have to do in our life. We have to keep working through the issue while we're building the future, while we're building the newness, while we're building the side that's going to help after we finish the overcoming. Isn't that making sense to you? I hope it does. But if we focus just on building, there's some weaknesses. I mean, I'm aware of churches where leadership have concluded don't waste time dealing with issues or people Just build, build, build. I knew preachers that would say the best way you can build a church is get them in debt. Oh, I disagree, disagree, disagree. Because they'll always give money to cover the debt. No, they won't. No, they won't. They'll try. They'll try. I remember a pastor, read a story about a pastor, who was an excellent communicator. Church grew rapidly. Problem is, the people were being attracted to the church who held all sorts of doctrinal, theological views. Some even had sinful habits in their behaviors that needed to be dealt with. But because the church was growing so fast and, so, and, the, and the emphasis was on build, 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 they didn't deal with the foundational issues that needed to happen. And as it would happen, this pastor then was called on to a much bigger and better position at another church, leaving this church with the problem. Because it was full of people who didn't believe like each other. And it was full of people who were all about them and not about the Lord. And so it's one thing to just build, but there's weaknesses in it. Just like there are weaknesses in just battling. See, on the wall, he had some building, but they always had the sword by their side, you see. And he had some that weren't building, but they had the sword drawn, ready to protect. And there was a balance there. 
But in so often in our lives, we see people who are just building or those who are just battling. The Lord recorded this event in Nehemiah for us to show us a picture of how we're supposed to be. Sword in one hand, but building on the other. Here's our sword. Put this sword in this hand and then go out and build the lives of people around you. Amen. Through words of encouragement, through words of, through deeds of good, bringing joy and healing into lives. But here's the word. Here's the sword. Let that be the protector. Some people are always going to believe that the ditch is in the wrong place. <laughs> Why'd you build it there? Well, looks like it's closer to the water line. No, you missed it totally. Okay. Years ago, when I would try to fix things around the church, you guys would come behind me and say, Preacher, you preach, let us fix things. Just makes better sense. That's why anymore I don't even try to attempt to fix it. I just call somebody... Because it's cheaper for me if I just let a real professional fix it than if I try to fix it and then have them come behind me. In fact, one of them told me one time, he said, Preacher, next time this breaks, he said, he said just call me. Okay, just call me. He said, don't start on it, just call me. I said, well, if the water's running, he said, just call me, just call me. Some people live a life summarized by the word churning. They're agitated about something. They've always got to be into somebody else's life. They've always got to be complaining about something. Their criticisms are unbalanced or overly harsh. We need a sword, but we also need a trowel. We need to be able to fight, but be balanced. The Christian ministry is a building endeavor. In Ephesians 4 says that he placed some to be pastors and teachers and apostles. And then in verse 29 of chapter 4, it says that we should not let any unwholesome word come out of our mouth, but such as is good for edifying, for the building up of the moment. So try to make your words kind, gracious, and merciful. Make a big difference in how you speak to each other. Amen. Especially if you're husband, wife, or boyfriend, girlfriend, or Co-worker, speak nice to each other. Speak nice to each other. Be good for you. What's that? Parent and child. Oh, my goodness. You never know how much power your words bring to your children. You never know. You can see how much destruction they can bring. You know, they uh, sometimes we use words that we don't think about. Well, you got to be careful. Children are blessings from God. Now, there are days when you're ready to turn them back to God. I understand. I understand that. I mean, God sent them to you, right? So he can take them back. No. <laughs> but he sent them to us on loan for us to help mold and develop and bring along. Brings us third point. Consolidate efforts. Work together as much as possible. Verses 19 through 23, some great passages. 
Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Verse 20, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding. Then our God will fight for us. Verse 21, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way the they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, and I don't know about this verse, not I, nor our relatives, nor my servants, nor my guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us all the time, even when we went to for water. Fifty-two days it took them to rebuild the wall. That's a long time. I've been in the locker room at the football stadium after one day. I can't imagine 52 days coaches talk to me. <laughs> and Rodney went from preaching to meddling this morning now when he's talking about four hours watching basketball. Really? Yeah. Well, let's just throw it out. That's a good idea. No, there's, there's times when you can watch basketball for 30 minutes. That's good. Yeah. When we get everybody involved, victory happens. Victory happens. And Nehemiah got everyone involved. Servants, nobles, wealthy, poor. He had them all involved because you see, the more involvement, the greater the victory. So I want to ask you about River Oaks. You know, a small church. And in a small church, it takes, still takes a lot of people to get it done. But are you doing anything beyond just coming on Sunday morning? See, if you're not, then we need you to step out and, and let's get you involved in some other way. Some additional way. Maybe that would give a break to somebody who's been doing it for quite a while. You know, larger churches, the misnomer is if the larger the church, the more workers they have. Not really. It's a percentage thing. It used to be 80-20. 80, 80, 80% watch the 20. <laughs> now it's 90 and 10. See, it's shrunk. Now you coaches will know what I'm talking about. Because your volunteer bases fall away. People get busy. That's why a lot of the larger churches have gone to all these multiple services so they can accommodate people's busy schedules, you see. Some people say we'll never grow because we only offer one service. Oh, okay. We don't need to offer nine services. I'd have four people here each time. You know, there's, there's something good about a collective group of folks gathering together, amen? There just is. I don't think Phyllis could play nine services in a row. She'd have to, we'd have to record the songs and just put a picture of her over there going, you know. But when everybody's working together, victory happens. Victory happens. I want to close this morning with a poem. Are you a builder or a wrecker? As I watch them tear down Tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town with no heave ho, ho heave ho, and a lusty yell.
They swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled in the men you'd hire if you wanted to build? And he gave a laugh and said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town, content with the labor of tearing down? O Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you that Nehemiah came to Jerusalem with a purpose. And he never wavered from the purpose with which he came to that great city. And Father, we ask you today that as we as a church continue to try to grow, we must first of all grow individually in our walk with you, in our commitment to you. We must be balanced in how we approach you. We need to let your Spirit move through us. Your Holy Spirit, who lives in each of us, be given freedom to move through us. To prod us, to poke us, to prick us, to encourage us, to give us the right words to say at the right moment. Father, we need to, we still have the capacity to let that happen or to turn it off. Father, I'm praying for the courage of your people to arise. The courage of your people to wake up. The courage of your people to speak out. The courage of your people to say, I want my church to be a great church for God. And Father, if we're growing individually, then we're going to grow externally as well. We're going to see new families come. God, we're praying for new families to come to our church. We're praying for them, that they will come and be a part, will roll up their sleeves and go to work. For God, when all of us are working, is when we're the strongest. Anybody can pray. Anybody can write an email or send a text message or write a letter. Anybody can come and prepare communion. Anybody can stand at the door with a smile and greet people that come in the door with a, hey, how you doing today? Anybody can hug somebody's neck. Anybody can shake a hand. Anybody can pat a back. So God, see, we need to find a way where we can be of service to your kingdom right here and right now. And Father, that commitment can be made right where we sit. That commitment can be made without any fanfare. But God, there may be somebody here today who wants to make a personal commitment to You. Who wants to claim You as a Savior in their life. Who's been thinking about baptism. We'd love to have the opportunity to sit down and teach and instruct so that they understand what that means. 
There might be some that are here that just want a church home. They want to become a member of this church. I've had people over the years ask me, why do I need to be a member of the church? Well, it's your statement to the community that you live in that says, this is my church. And that's where I'm going to be. And I want you to come join me. That's what being a member is about. But better than that, we want to be a member of your body. So God, I don't know what the decisions are in the hearts of the people here totally, but you do. So would you move in them, touch them, give them courage to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Great song. God's moving in your heart to respond in some way. Would you